chapter 24 again, beginning in verse 1 again. Notice what it says in, in 2 Samuel 24. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And notice, and he moved against Israel. Underline the word he, because you're going to need to look at this. <laughs> And he moved David against them to say, Go and number Israel and Judah. All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. Oh, powerful, untamed. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, Pastor Rob begins a final chapter of 2 Samuel. As we find out in First Chronicles chapter 21, it was Satan that moved David's heart to the numbering of the people. So God opened the door and allowed Satan to move in and tempt David. The principle of Exodus 30 verse 12 speaks to God's ownership of his people. In the thinking of these ancient cultures, a man only had the right to count or number what belonged to him. Israel didn't belong to David. Israel belonged to God. It was up to the Lord to command accounting, and if David counted, he should only do it at God's command. We must always be careful where we get our direction. Now here's Pastor Rob. Well, we're going to be finishing Second uh, Samuel this evening. And I must say that I'm going to miss this book very much. Again, one of my favorite uh, portions of Scripture. And tonight we're going to take communion together as well. If you're open up to 2 Samuel 24, let's read the whole entire thing and then we're going to go back and just take a look at it. I think it's important that we get the context of this before we start tearing it apart. (laughs) Again, uh, these last... Four chapters are really like uh, appendixes of David's history, David's reign, and this one, we believe, is very close to the end of David's reign. Certainly before, and and, and we'll talk more about this later, uh, and why we believe that, because we know that sometimes these last few chapters haven't been exactly in chronological order, and... um, This one is really near the end, we believe, and we'll talk about that as we get there. But let's look at uh, chapter 24, verse 1. It says, again, underline that word again. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. And so the king said to Joab, meaning David, said to his commander, Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, he says, Now go throughout all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and count the people, that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are, and may the eyes of my lord the king see it. But why does my lord the king desire this thing? 
Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army, and therefore Joab and the captains of the army went from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. And they crossed over the Jordan and encamped in Aurorah on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad, and toward Gazer, Jazer. And then they came to Gilead and to the land of Taftim Hadshai, and they came to Dan Jaan and around to Sidon, and they came to the stronghold of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. And then they went out by south uh, to South Judah as far as Beersheba. And so when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. Underline that. <laughs> nine months and twenty days. And then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. And so David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. And so Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to, your, to you in your land, or shall you flee three months before your enemies while you, they pursue you, or shall there be three days' plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in a great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. And so the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time. And then from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. And then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. And so David did, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Aruna looked, and he saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And so Aruna went out and bowed himself before the king with his face to the ground. And then Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you. To buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. And I love this. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. There's so much here about worship. It's amazing. Now Arona said to David, Let my Lord the king take and offer uh, up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. And all these, O king, Aruna has given to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. 
And then the king said to Arona, No, but I will surely buy it from you for... Actually, we're going to find out in First Chronicles. He says, For the full price. I'm going to pay the full price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. And so David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And so the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from the people. From the people. I would encourage you when you get an opportunity to read over uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 21. It's the parallel account to this portion of scripture. And you'll find that there are some details in 1 Chronicles 21 that you're not going to see here. Some uh, corruption in the text. We're going to look at that tonight. And so let's get right into... So I, again, just as you read this chapter, Second uh, Samuel 24, tonight or sometime, read both of these passages, uh, chapter 24 and then 1 Chronicles 21... And see if you can notice the discrepancies. And, and not, not the discrepancies, but there's sometimes there's just differences. And uh, just like the gospel accounts, what you can do is you can take these things often and you can fit them in together. What, just because it's not mentioned, uh, a certain detail might not be mentioned here in chapter 24, but it is mentioned in, 20, in 1 Chronicles 21, doesn't mean that the Word of God can't be depended upon. It's just that the chronicler... Uh, decided to have that, that incident or that fact put into the text to bring clarity. And, um, and so let's look at chapter, uh, uh, chapter 24 again, beginning in verse 1 again. Notice what it says in, in 2 Samuel 24. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And notice, and he moved against Israel. Underline the word he, because you're going to need to look at this. <laughs> And he moved David against them to say, Go and number Israel and Judah. Now, turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. There's something here that I think is important in our understanding of who the Lord is. And again, notice in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. It's pretty much verbatim, except for a few little differences. But notice what the chronicler gives here in chapter 21 of 1 Chronicles. It says, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So what is it? Is it God or is it Satan? <laughs> well, if we know a few things about the Lord, it's easy to understand what has happened here. Again, um, this makes it sound like God was the one who moved David to number the children of Israel. But yet in Chronicles, it tells us that it was Satan who did it. Now, the thing we have to understand is you can't throw out what you, what you already know about God. Don't throw that out based on what you do know about God. That's really important to do. Because if you had an understanding of God based on this, you might think that God was capricious. Or that God... Um, you know, he either did or he didn't. Well, the, the fact of the matter is, remember that Satan is not a loose cannon in the universe. He has to go by God for anything that he does. He has to get permission to do that. You remember in Job, in the first and the second chapter, you read the first two or three verses of each of those two chapters in Job, and it says that the devil, Satan, approached the throne of God. Do you know that he still has access? He can still go before the throne of God today. 
He's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses, uh, accuses us before the throne of God. But he goes before him and, and only what God allows him to do. Read that carefully in Job. Because if you don't get that, your understanding of who God is and his character is going to be pretty warped. He allowed Satan to do certain things. So God himself did not move David. He allowed Satan to tempt David because what does it tell us? And here's the reason why you can't throw out what you do know about God versus what, you know, when you read something else. You have to hold on to what is true about God and understand that there's probably something else happening here. And certainly there is. Because James chapter 1 verse 13 tells us, and you might want to footnote that right next to your Bible in this verse here, verse 1. Because James tells us, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God, and listen to this, he cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So it's not God. God allowed it. And so in a sense, you could say that God did it. But only in the sense that he allowed Satan to have his way for a moment. And God knows what he's doing. He oftentimes will allow things to happen in our life to to school us, to bring us to an understanding of our own character, of who we are. But God knows the end picture. He knows the end result. And the end result is repentance. The end result is David being restored. And the devil doesn't know those things. He can't because he's not omniscient. The devil is not omniscient. The devil is neither omnipotent. And the devil is certainly not omnipresent. Those three characteristics belong to God alone. And so Satan only knows what God allows him to know. It's rather an unfair advantage that God has. And I love that he has the unfair advantage. He does. So, and what's interesting here is why did he call for a census to to go and number the people of Israel. You know, in the law, in the Old Testament, you know, the first five books of Moses, there were permitted times of taking a census. And it seems that, uh, that perhaps David, it was his motive here that the Lord had a problem with, not so much that he numbered the people. Now turn with me to Exodus chapter 30, because we're going to see just one example of God allowing the children of Israel to be numbered, but it was for his own purposes, It was for provision for the temple or it was provision for knowing who was old enough to go into battle. Those kinds of numbers are important to know and God directs that. God makes that happen. He tells the Levites and the priests to do that. But now David does something completely different, just out of the blue. It had nothing to do with any of those things, but it was rather something that was in David's heart, we believe. Otherwise, God wouldn't judge him for this. So the motive, his motive was wrong. And perhaps as David is getting older and his son is growing, he's thinking to himself, you know what, soon my son is going to go on the throne. And you know what, I'm just going to take a look at what we got. Take a look at how many tanks and how many missiles and how many F-18s and all these things. I want to find out. Let's number. Let's take a number. Let's take a, find out what, what, all we got because I want to know because I want to give to my boy the best. I want to give to him everything. And you can see that that's a departure from David's trust in God. Rather, he was trusting in his own might, uh, potentially trusting in his own armaments, his own strength. But look at Exodus chapter 30, beginning in verse 11. It says, The Lord... Now, there, And this is a, a, a good reason why they would 
take a census, and here's just one of them. And we're, not, we're just going to look at this one. The Lord spoke to Moses, verse 11, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. And, and when you number them, that, they may, that there may be no plague among you when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras. I know that means a lot to you. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord, and everyone, including those among you who are numbered from 20 years old and above, shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. And why is this? And you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the, of the tabernacle of meeting." that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. So God had a specific reason to have the census taken. It was for the 20, year old, 20 years old and older that they were all to take a half a shekel. And that money was given to support the tabernacle to, and the service of the tabernacle to support the priests. And in fact, that's part of what you do here, by the way. When you put money into the, or, or checks or whatever into the agape box, that's really what you're doing. You're allowing this ministry to continue, the, the giving that we give, and the, to pay the, 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 the mortgage and the, for the heat and the air conditioning, for the comfortable seats and the food and everything that is going on here. That's, what we, that's part of what we do. To keep, and you're supporting me and others to continue to be. This is what we do continually. This is all we do. And how blessed I am. So thank you. <laughs> I truly am the most blessed man on the earth. You know, I love being here with you. I love being able to share the Word of God. It's the greatest joy in my life. And as I'm growing in the Lord and as I get to share, there, there's no greater thing in the world. Somebody could come up to me and say, you know what? You know, you're going to be the next President of the United States. I say, no thanks. My job is right here. And this is what I'd rather do more than anything else. Unless, unless I can get in front of the White House and have Bible studies in the Oval Office and, and do all those things. But you know what? There's too much of a headache. The Lord has given me what I can handle. And even then I start to wonder. You know what I mean? Anyway, so thankful. But that, that's really what was going on here. So there were reasons why a census would be done. And, and um, David did not appear to be taking this census per the description in Exodus 30. But rather for another purpose. And so Unfortunately, it's common for men, once they're established, to look around and have pride in what they've done. Nebuchadnezzar did that, you remember? There was a time in his kingdom where he, he was walking around the, 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 the bulwarks on top of the, the walls, and he made a comment. He's like, and this is what I've done. And he started to think of all that he has done, all that he has done, and, and how great his kingdom was. And little, little did he know that it was God who allowed him to have that preeminence. And even God gave him the vision of the, of, of the gold head, and he was that gold head. And you notice what Nebuchadnezzar did. And, you know, and then those silver, you know, these different alloys and different metals meant different, uh, um, different kingdoms that would come after his. And what did he do in response to that? He builds a gold image, all gold, in the plain of Shinar. In other words, it's not good enough that I'm just the head and, there's, and these other kingdoms are coming after me. No, I want it all to be gold because it's all about me. 
Everybody exalt me. And so he puts a gold image, and he's saying he's, he's telling something, isn't he? My kingdom, I want it to keep going, and it's all about me. And then God intervened in his life and caused him to go mad. He literally went mad for seven years. And was out in the fields, lost his mind. But that's, as David is getting older now in his reign, he's starting to think about his posterity. He's thinking about Solomon. He's thinking about maybe he could do God a, a service by making sure that he's got a big army. And God doesn't need any of it. Believe me, God can, he doesn't need an army. Trust me, when we come back with Jesus at the end of the tribulation period, and he comes back, I don't see anywhere in the scripture where it tells us that we're going to be doing anything. We're going to be coming back on white horses with him, and he's going to be doing all the work. With a word of his mouth, he's going to, spike, he's going to smash his enemies into pieces. And they will be worthy of receiving that judgment because they've rejected the Son of God, the only means of salvation. So while there is nothing wrong with this, we must continue to give the God to God the glory and not touch what he deserves. And maybe this was the motive of David, and I believe it probably was pride. In fact, Jeremiah 17 verse 5 says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is in the Lord, who hope, whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when he comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought." Nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And God answers that question. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give everyone according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And so Satan was the one who tempted David to do this in spite of Joab's insistence that it shouldn't be done. Even his bloodthirsty rebellious general Joab, even he said, David, what are you doing? And Joab and David were bumping heads on this, and yet, nonetheless, David's word prevailed. But God wasn't the instigator. Satan was, and he always is. He's always the instigator, always trying to get us to trip. In verse 2 it says, So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Now go throughout all the tribes, from Dan to Beersheba, and count the people, that I may know the number. This means all of Israel. Underline Dan to Beersheba, because if you were to look at a map of Israel, Dan is in the very northern part, right on the border of Syria and Israel. And then down at the very southern border of Israel is Beersheba, down in the desert. And so when he goes from Dan to Beersheba, he's going from north to south. I want you to go from north to south and count all the people. And again, the pride in David's heart was the motivator rather than a directive from the Lord. And apparently it wasn't for a census for the purpose excuse me, of obtaining finances for the tabernacle. 
So verse 3, Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are, and may the eyes of my lord the king see it. But why does my lord the king desire this thing? Again, even Joab, who again wasn't a faithful man, recognized the wrongness. That concludes our time for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.